for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. One week away from Snoop Dogg on 419 in Sioux Falls as we tape today here at the Gateway on a beautiful spring day. You got your tickets yet? You ready to go? Snoop Dogg, 419? Yeah, yeah. Seriously? No. <laughs> <laughs> Any desire? Not really, no. Okay. There's part of me that, that, that does, and then I think to myself, okay, I, I enjoyed Snoop Dogg when I was a kid in the 90s. Did I have albums? No. Uh, did I hear it at parties all the time? I'm sure you did as well. Sure. Yeah. I, the concert? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. But he's coming. A day before he's coming to Lincoln on 420. They're excited in Lincoln for Snoop Dogg to be here on 420. Bet you didn't think we'd start with that today. Yes, oh. I did. I, you're so predictable. Really? You thought when you woke up today, <laughs> John's going to bring up Snoop Dogg is here in one week? What Was it last night or this morning you texted me about last night? Yeah, Because I'd actually forgot about the podcast entirely until I got your text. Oh, well, that's nice to know how, so, yeah, it was high on my list how prominent it is on your radar. <laughs> okay. Thanks. How you doing? Good. Yeah. Lovely day. You just got done interviewing Baylor Shireman. We'll talk about that. Of course, that goes along with Matthew Moore's becoming a Jackrabbit. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll be teammates. Maybe they won't, depending on if Baylor gets drafted. Uh, we've got Hannah Shervin getting drafted. We've got Matt's trip to the Twin Cities to see the Twins, who are 2-2. Two and two. Uh, The Canaries have new turf and other new things at the park. Uh, see if old man Matt decided to watch the Masters. And uh, a whole bunch of other things here at the Gateway Bar. And I'm going to eat, I'm going to try a new menu, well, for me, a new menu item. I'm going to try their tacos for the first time. That looks like a salad. Well, that's a, no, that's what I'm having first. I'm going to have the salad, and oh. then I'm having tacos. Uh, I usually get a taco salad, so I'm really diversifying here. I see. But I am going to eat while we talk, while you talk, and we're going to piss off Mike McFeely from the Fargo <laughs> Forum while we do that, because he doesn't like it when we eat and talk. So. I don't either, but I just do it anyway. Exactly. Um, so what's the so we got all those topics I just mentioned. What, what's the lead off to you? What's the bigger deal? The new USD women's coach, or the fact that Matthew Moore's is uh, going to be a jackrabbit? I think Matthew Moore's is probably a bigger story. Oh, I mean, that was, you jackrabbit right, right, Homer! Right, yeah. Oh, the the coyote critics. But I mean, are not gonna... just that he he uh, chose SDSU, but that he left, and obviously he left a few weeks ago. So that in itself wasn't news, but that was a big story. You know, I mean, this is a six-year varsity player, a three-time South Dakota player of the year. I mean, he's right up there with the Mike Millers and all sorts of other guys as, you know, one of the best that's ever come out of South Dakota. And, you know, he didn't just go D1. He went big-time D1, you know, Wisconsin, the Big Ten. And uh, he redshirted as a true freshman, which probably contributed to this a little bit. But even that being the case, every indication that I got was that you know, he was going to play at Wisconsin. It's not like he was a scrub or anything like that. And um, I know Joe Krabenhoft, who was an assistant coach at Wisconsin and used to be at SDSU and from South Dakota, obviously, uh, had told the SDSU coaches after Matthew entered the portal, like, yeah, we had plans for him. We were not – we were sad to see him go. This was not about us telling him, hey, you know, maybe you want to look around. doesn't look like you're going to play. That was not the case at all. And I think we all kind of know that. There are some personal reasons for Matthew as for why he left, you know, whether it's being homesick or wanting to be closer to his girlfriend who apparently has ties to South Dakota State. All those things that we've talked about or have been talked about 
are part of it. Um, I'm actually going to talk to Matthew tomorrow so I can get a little more um, insight from him on or at least what his thought process was in leaving and, and picking SDSU and everything. But I think it was pretty apparent once he entered the portal and told everyone that I'm, I want to be closer to home, that's why I'm leaving. Um, we all kind of figured it was going to be the Jacks or the Oats. I mean, we had thrown out names like Creighton and Iowa State as possibilities too, but those are still, you know, they might be closer than Madison, Wisconsin, but they're still a ways away. We, we yeah, kind of figured it was going to be five hours away. Yeah, we figured it was going to be SDSU or USD, and um, you know, SDSU. If, if if that being the case, I mean, the Jacks were obviously going to be the favorites for a variety of reasons. The only thing USD I really think had working in their favor was he's from Yankton. He's from right in the USD backyard. But when you consider that they just made a coaching change, uh, their entire roster is in the transfer portal. Now some of them have been coming back. Certainly Matthew would have had an opportunity. I'm sure if Eric Peterson did talk to him, the pitch was, hey, come here and, and build something. You know, we're starting from scratch here a little bit. We're starting over new coaching staff, new roster. You can come here and be the dude and, you know, lead this town, lead this team, this town to glory right in your own backyard and kind all that. Of, kind of a new roster. I mean, you got Arshimbo and now their mm-hmm. leading scorer we just learned last night is yeah. coming back. But Cruz. I mean, at the time, right. not, not all those guys True. were back necessarily. And yeah, the fact like that two those weeks guys ago. have come back probably makes it more attractive. I mean, there's, For sure. know, there's some pieces in place there. Um, but then you look at where SDSU is at right now and, you know, coming off this – historic season and you know having everyone coming back and eric henderson an established coach you know who wouldn't like eric henderson you know anyone who's met him i'm sure he makes a great impression on any recruit and then you just factor in that like i said you know we've heard that uh, he wanted to be closer to his girlfriend who is a student at sdsu i believe uh, his girlfriend's family is an sdsu family so there was a little bit of of that tugging at him and once we saw him at that WNIT game, I think we all kind of thought it was only a matter of time before this announcement came, and sure enough, uh, came on Friday, and that's a pretty big deal. I mean, the Jacks were already going to be heavy favorites coming back in the Summit League next year. The one player they were losing was Doug Wilson, and now you basically plug Matthew Moores right into that role. I mean, they're, you know, that sort of stretch four, whatever you want to call him, a little bit different player than Doug, obviously, not nearly as dynamic, athletic, but a much better outside shooter. Uh, but that's that's basically where he's going to slide right in, and you put him along around all those three-point shooters they have, it just makes the Jacks obviously that much more formidable going into next year. Yeah, uh, I'll address the game bouncing right off of that. I mean, watching a ton of his high school games in Sioux Falls, it always felt like an event when he came to a Sioux Falls high school yep. to play. It was always an event when he had the ball in his hands, and he's it's, he's probably, I'm guessing, not going to be as ball-centric as he was with Yankton. Uh, you just, I mean, there's plenty of other pieces around him. Maybe mm-hmm. he'll be more post-oriented. But, man, sometimes, especially at the end of halves uh, or when – the Yankton Bucks needed a bucket to have the ball in his hands, and you knew it was going to be a one-on-one ISO game, and what's Matthew going to do? A lot of times he stepped back and from the mm-hmm. elbow and pulled away. Mm-hmm. But even at that, it, there was a sense of gravitas when he had the ball in his hands, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's necessarily just going to deflate because he's a, going to be at a higher level in college and um, he's got more pieces around him and better defenders. It's it's somewhat of an event when Matthew Morris has the ball in his hands. It too, and again, I'm not comparing levels of play, but it's a, it's a feeling of LeBron James to degree because in high school that's he had that type of a game he could play any position on the floor mm-hmm. he could score at any time and he can score in many different ways and he was also a terrific passer and had enough size and muscle and grit to go after rebounds and, and defend pretty well as well mm-hmm. so I, that's that's going to be a fun thing for the jacks to have it'll be really intriguing to see how he'll fit in all of that and um but you know you're about to talk to him zach borg from dakota news now apparently talked to him 
very recently within the last 48 hours. And as you know, those of us in TV, we put these out in drips and drabs. And so all I've seen is uh, where Matthew talks about that experience of going to the WNIT game. I don't know if it was the quarterfinals or the semifinals, one of the last few games. And yeah, he said that that really, that mm-hmm. really hit him. Now, how much, how heavy, influential that was in being the, the, you know, the final straw to put him over the top. Coyote fans, the crazy Coyote fans that follow us and we follow, we enjoy, they're going to want to think this all has to do with the girlfriend or that situation, and it was a slam dunk, and any other reason seems almost disingenuous. But for what it's worth, um, it, 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 Matthew's comments seemed very genuine, seems like a very genuine kid. And he for sure was, he said he had never been to Frost Arena for a basketball game. He'd been to, he'd been to, and now I got to go back and. been to plenty of Yotes games. I I, saw him there at some Yotes games. Right. I got to go back and make sure, but I'm pretty sure he said he had not been to a a Jacks game at Frost Arena. And so, yeah, he he came to one where it was absolutely full and rocking for a women's game. Not that Mm -hmm. there's a big difference between men's and women's crowds as SDSU games. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's easy for him to see himself there. And I guess. If that was at all a factor, the Yotes had the disadvantage of they, you know, their women's team, <laughs> their women's team was in the damn NCAA, that damn NCAA tournament right, right. and didn't have home games available to have those kind of atmospheres. But um, so, what, I mean, what do you want to? I mean, what do you want to or or, or think to believe about? Uh, you know, the number one reason why he's there. Um, well, I mean, like he he want whether he wanted to be closer to home just to be around his family or or how much this, you know, girlfriend situation. And I don't want to talk about that too much because it's none of my business. And I think that's getting a little personal with a 18, 19 year old kid. Fair. But, um, but you know, I, I think I understand USD fans maybe wanting to create a reason to say like, well, it's not an indictment on us. It's just this thing that was outside of our control. And maybe that was partially true. Uh, but all the type for his, as far as him potentially coming to USD, because I think us, a lot of USD fans felt like we know we're not going to get him when he was coming out of high school. Everyone understood that yep. he would go to these Yotes games. You'd see him sitting on the sidelines right behind the bench. And it's like, Oh, Matthew Moore's is at the game. Yeah. That's because they offered him free tickets or whatever. They, they recruited him yeah. as they should have They lived 25 minutes away. We all knew he wasn't going to go there. But I think there was definitely a, a, a sense, and we've talked about this, like you should still recruit the kid because if something doesn't work out, he decides he wants to come home, you have that in. And maybe in a different scenario, it would have worked out that way. But the timing for us, for USD could not have been worse. Um, Matthew Morse just happened to decide he wanted to leave Wisconsin and move closer to home at the exact moment that USD had just fired their coach and had their entire roster in the transfer portal. And oh, by the way, SDSU has this loaded roster and they just played on the, you know, in the NCAA tournament and they had this, and it wasn't just that they had that great season. They were a ridiculously entertaining team to watch. He's joining a team that, you know, shoots 45% on three pointers and has this amazingly entertaining, fun style of basketball. Um, it just, like I said, the timing couldn't have been worse for USD. Yeah, I mean, they were 18 and 0. What number two or three in the nation in scoring, and mm-hmm. number two or three or number one number in the nation one in three, three point pointers. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and they won the Summit League tournament, which is kind of everything in this league, right? Mm-hmm. Especially at SDSU. So, 
uh, it's kind of hard to ignore all those things. And USD is a fine program and fine fan base. And uh, I think we can expect, look forward to big things with Eric Peterson. But let's just let's be real, uh, taking anything personal out of it. Just looking at the two programs, what's more attractive to that level of a player? Like I said, if, if USD was going to sell anything, it was going to be, hey, you're you have a chance to build something. Right. Here. They don't. They can't sell something that's already been built. Yeah. They can't. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and I don't think SDSU necessarily would need to be that high of an achiever this past year. They've already been great for several years, really good, great fan base. But, sure, I mean, you know, if, say the Jackrabbits were coming off a last place finish or a middle of the pack right. finish and they were drawing 1,500 a game and there wasn't a lot of buzz, okay. Or if, or if Hendo had just got hired at, you know, a Big 12 school or something Possibly. and the whole roster jumped yeah. in the portal and, you know. Yeah. So, uh, to the, I guess to the victors come the spoils. The rich yeah. get richer, and that's that's how it goes. And uh, you know, USD fans, and you know, the athletic department there, and Eric Peterson, they all know that, and they saw Don Plitzowite at USD see the Jackrabbits owning the uh, Summit League tournament on the women's side and owning the league for several years, and USD always being really good and feisty. And uh, finally, I mean, Amy Williams did great WNIT title, and then Don Plitzowite comes in and just. Boom! Catapults them to the top, leapfrogging barely, but leapfrogging SDSU. It is possible, but it is also very—it's also very tough to do. So, we'll see what happens there. I mean, so I guess we can stay with uh, the USD men for a second. It is—I mean, they're—they've had great news. Yeah. Um, because two of their best players, if not their two best players, are that played this year are coming back. Plus, as far as we know, AJ Plitzowite isn't no news is good news i suppose i guess i would look at that but you had archambault and cruz what's his last name i'm sorry hunt okay thank you uh you know entering the transfer portal Mm -hmm. and it was gloom and doom after todd peterson left uh todd lee left and um it and it's hard for me to what to know what to make of it obviously because i'm not i'm not reporting on the coyotes and i haven't asked the kids i just wonder sometimes i wonder if going into the transfer portal is just good for your brand no matter what level you play just you know you you, you experienced some success you averaged over 10 points a game i'm going to go to the portal it, it 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 looks good for me and of course, when your coach leaves, you're exploring your options and you got to do it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wonder how. I wonder if they're coming back because they they they've been attracted to Eric Peterson and they're just like, okay, love this guy, we're on board. Or it, or maybe just there, there wasn't, wasn't a better situation right, out there for them right. in the portal. Well, both can be true. And also, I think in in the cases of, of Mason Archibald and Cruz Parrot Hunt or anyone else that's leaving USD, like. USD is not like they're a sinking ship. It's not like they're a shitty program. I mean, I get, you know, why, I guess why wouldn't you enter the portal if there's a coaching change? Coaching change. It's an opportunity to find out how attractive you are to other people, you know. You put yourself on the portal. Maybe you don't know how good you are, you know. Maybe all of a sudden, you know, friend, you know, Minnesota, Iowa calls you, you know, and they're like, hey, you know, we saw that you averaged 15 a game at USD. We want you to come be a Hawkeye. Great. If he hadn't entered the portal, he never would have found out that opportunity was out there. Uh, but I think for a lot of guys, and, you know, we saw the clip from Gino Ariema that went viral a couple weeks ago. Like, how many hundreds of kids are going to end up without a home, you know, or at the very, if, if they're lucky, able to go back to, you know, wherever they were originally from? I mean, all these kids are saturating the portal. And like I said, I think some of them are just, you know, kind of want to find out how good they are, how many people are interested in them. And, you know, if you're. Archambault, Parrot Hunt, you know, a lot of these other guys, you know, 
got to be careful. And, you know, Eric Peterson comes in, and unless he's just a complete boob, which obviously he's not. We all knew that he was going to come in there and, and I think – be a good a good dude and a good recruiter. I love that word. It's boob. it's smart of them to do like yeah let's let's I have a good thing here, you know Mason Archambault, Cruz Parrott Hunt they were not in a bad situation so kudos to them for recognizing like hey this ship is not sinking yes there's a coaching change but the coach they brought in probably going to elevate this program let's let's stick it out here. I hate to do purely speculative uh, podcasting but that's part of the fun and it's easy to connect dots or or at least make sense of it. You wonder. If this makes the case stronger for AJ Plitzewite coming back, like how much, how, I how think much, so. how much of a glue that was that maybe Mason and Cruz have talked to AJ. And, I think so. Uh, knowing that if AJ's back, they know they've got a damn good well, team. Well, and but also if if everyone bails and stays bailed, essentially, you know, Archambault, these other guys don't come back. Then if you're AJ, you, you know, you kind of go, well, geez, why am I sticking around? All my teammates left. Yeah. The coach who recruited me left. My mom left. Yep. You know, and like I said, Which I don't. Means your dad's gone. Yeah, I don't know if if Bob Huggins that would have interest in AJ, but I mean, he's certainly good enough to at least be on that roster. I don't know how much playing time he would get at West Virginia, yeah. but he's good enough to be on the team. So you'd have to wonder what he, you know, what, what, what am I, what am I staying in Vermillion for? My whole family's gone, my whole teammates gone, my coach is gone. Now those guys coming back, it makes more sense for him to say, hey, you know, I started building something with these guys. I was one of the best players in the league till I got hurt. You know, let's come back here and and see it through. So, uh, you know, like like I said, I think so far, knock on wood, no news is good news, but you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will see. Um, and so now we go to Hannah Shervin getting drafted by the Lynx. And this was third round. I believe it was early third round, though. Okay. Yeah. And somewhere in the low 30s or upper 20s for overall pick, I think. Uh, I think it was the, I think it was the, the low 20s. I don't know 20s. how many how many teams there are. Yeah. It was. I think she was the fourth pick of the third round. Yeah. Which and the distinction is, I think Macy Miller was the second to last pick of the third round when she got oh, taken a couple okay. years ago. Was it okay? Yeah, I could she, be wrong about that. Yeah, no, she. I'm pretty sure she was right. in the 30s. And again, you don't want to just say, "Well, Macy Miller didn't pan out," and this, so this might just be. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a, I'm cynical by nature, first of all. So because I'm cynical, I'll, I'll preface this with. We know Hannah Sherman's an excellent player. We saw how she held, not just held her own, but in a couple cases and stretches dominated mm-hmm. against the, mm-hmm. some of the top competition mm-hmm. at that level. And she actually did say, and this is Dakota News Now, she told us that that, that, that convinced her even more. I'm sure she was already going to try to go to the WNBA draft, but right. those last few games where she's playing against the Jacks in the Summit and then, of course, um, Baylor and Ole Miss and um, Michigan, Michigan. – that uh, she's like, yeah, this is not only can I do this, but this is fun. This is fun playing at this level. Mm-hmm. Of course, I think I can play at this level. So maybe she can. Maybe she'll be great. She's got the size. Um, all right. At the same time, you do wonder that late of a pick. And our one experience here in South Dakota uh, recently was Macy Miller. I know Megan Vogel got drafted as well mm-hmm. a, about a decade ago. So you just, you know, you kind of wonder, all right, how much of a chance does she have? And did the Wolves pick her partly because it was just a nice mm-hmm. uh, hometown story? Yeah. It's like the Rams yeah. were pressured into choosing Michael Sam out of Missouri right. years ago, that kind of thing. What do you think? Well, I mean, she'll be in camp. She'll go to their preseason and play for them. Did you put ranch on your tacos? No, it's queso. Okay. Yeah. Good. God, it's I like, hate ranch. The, it looks like ranch. Well, yeah. I think I was going to say, what the hell is wrong with you? But I apologize. Well, I'm about to try it here at the Gateway. I mean, they. I, I'm right. going to try their case and all. Good. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be good. I haven't taken a bite yet. All right. I, um, hate, I fucking hate ranch. <laughs> um, 
I, you know, will she make the team? I don't know. I, I don't know anything about, you know, what the Lynx roster looks like or, you know, how deep they are in the paint or anything like that. And I will say I thought M- Macy Miller was going to make the team with Seattle. Uh, you know, she was a draft pick. She was in camp with them, played in their preseason games. Was I, I assume the last player cut, uh, then went overseas and played for, you know, only I think a year or two, and then she's done. She's coaching now. Um, so I don't know. But, you know, Hannah's got the – the, the advantage in that, you know, she's a – we've been saying it since the middle of the season when we were talking about, you know, who should be the MVP of the Summit League. You know, we, we both, I think, agreed with no disrespect to Chloe Lamb that it should have been Hannah Shervin, just as we've said over and over again. She is a unique player. Her size and her combination of skills and, and physical dominance and those traits, what she can do offense and defense – she was the best player in the Summit League, and she's the reason – I mean, obviously not all by herself, but she's the, the main reason in my mind that they went as far as they did. And I certainly will not be surprised if she makes the team and carves out an NBA career, but it's really hard to say. I, like I said, I thought the same thing would happen for Macy Miller, and it didn't. Yeah, it's a tough league. Is she, it, what, what's, up, what's Macy up to these days? She's coaching for Northwestern, uh, the one in Iowa. She's okay. Kristen Rodert's assistant. Oh, she's, okay. She's done playing. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, and beyond that – Let's go to the USD new coach. My God, I called it right, even though I wasn't making a serious prediction, so I'm not going to seriously say, hey, I called it. But I did think the coach they ended after up hiring. After you saw my list of candidates. So. Of course. Yeah. After, thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you for the list of candidates. I would have yeah. never heard of her otherwise. <laughs> right. that, that, and that's the only research I did on the topic was your article. Right. But once, So thank you for that. But once I saw that, uh, and I'm not the only one, I'm just doing I my would, own. I would agree that of the ten names I came up with, that seemed to be the one with the most likelihood of being and, the guy. And, but I also said I, I kind of suspected it would be someone that wasn't on my list. Yeah. Well, the st- and who and who knows if this was the first person on their list. Right. This yeah, search took know. a while. I, mm-hmm. Again, I saw some of the kind of crazies we love to follow and who follow us, um, you know, acting like this was DEFCON 3 because they didn't, you know, have an immediate hire within the yeah. first few days of Don leaving. So uh, we never have any idea. There are, And uh, the, those folks are always going to say, the athletic directors are always going to say this was our first choice. Right. We have no idea uh, if it was or not. But it seems like a great choice. And, it, again, it seems like a Herbster choice, the sticking point on that resume resume is the is the Lack short time she had at Wisconsin it's it's he always likes to hire people who have who have well, she's never been a head coach either that, that but no but I think being an assistant to, to Herbster it appears with the exception of the Todd Lee hire if you've been an assistant at the big league level that's right he he that's just that's just a consistency in the coaches he's hired and now he's hired a new men's and a new women's coach who both were recently at USD right the difference is Don Plitzaway Todd Lee Eric Peterson all had head coaching experience in Very addition true. to their Power Five assistant stint, yeah. and Kayla doesn't have that. Now, is that a deal breaker? I certainly don't think so. Eric Henderson hadn't been a head coach. T.J. Otzelberger hadn't been a head coach. You know, and you know, I'm sure we could come up with other ones too. I think it's a good hire. Yeah, I mean, the experience she had at Wisconsin, where she was obviously you know high up on the, the totem pole there. It's not like she was a GA or a video coordinator or something you know and then she goes to drake they had a good season they played the jacks in the nit this year that's a good program too and she was at usd for a couple years under don where she was heavily involved in bringing some of the players to vermilion that contributed to the run they just finished so i think she checks all the boxes except for the one about being a head coach but that one i think also doesn't necessarily have to be set in stone now that said given where this program has been in the last 10, 20 years from Chad Lavin to Ryan Williams to Amy Williams to Don. I mean, those are four outs. Those four coaches all had outstanding tenures at USD. You could argue that every one of them 
elevated it from the previous one. Um, this is a, you know, these are big shoes she has to fill. And given that, you know, she's young, she doesn't have a ton of experience, and she's never been a head coach, it's a little, it's a little bit of a risky hire, you know. I'm sure Aaron Johnston is looking at it to some degree and going like, okay, you know, I feel like I can outcoach this person for a few years. But, you Maybe know, we don't know. Maybe too. Every, I mean, that's that's kind of what I mean. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, everyone has to, had to start somewhere. I mean, AJ was a nobody at one point, too. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I think USD fans are would be correct to have a little bit of, I don't want to say skepticism or nervousness or anything. I think everyone agrees it's a good hire. But can she be better than Don Plitzewhite? That's asking a ton. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's asking a ton. Of anyone. Yeah. Of yeah. anyone. Yeah. So, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I think the, the big thing to watch will be how how steep is her learning curve or just how long does it take her to get it going because um i'll say two things about usd going into next year one they're going to be down from this year and two they're still going to be the second best team in the league just because sdsu and usd have separated themselves so much from the rest of the pack that usd can go into full rebuild rebuild mode next year and I, I think everyone who looks at it objectively sees that SDSU should be the better, the best team in the women's team in Summit League next year. They have a, everyone except Tyler Irwin coming back. Uh, so they should be pretty good. They should be the best team. Even if they're much, much better than USD, the Coyotes will still be the second best team in the league by default. And that means that they could potentially, depending on how things go, play themselves into you know NCAA tournament consideration just like the Jacks were this year and worst case scenario probably be looking at a NIT type of thing and so again the question is how long will it take Kayla to get USD right back up to being on even footing or even ahead of where SDSU is at yeah I mean just I don't think they want it to take very long I think people will well there will be people will be patient they'll be like okay you know, you, you inherited a team where everyone graduated and this great yeah. coach left. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you have to take a step back to take a step yeah. forward. That's fine. What will be interesting is how long does that take? One yeah. year, two years, three years? Because if it takes more than a year or two, then people are going to start oh, to get a little... Oh, they'll get antsy. Yeah, they'll yeah. start getting antsy. I mean, exactly. I, 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 have, I don't have a strong recollection of the expectations or the runway that Dawn was given, but you're coming off of Amy Williams, mm-hmm. and at that time, Amy Williams was the bee's knees. I mean, mm-hmm. she was so awesome, and I think it was a bit of a surprise that she got that big of a jump from USD to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a weird hire by Nebraska, but it turned you know they they still have her. She's made a couple NCAA tournaments. Good for them. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it was there was a little nervousness and. Um, Don had, but Don had the big league coaching experience in the Big Ten with Michigan, and she had some successful she won a D two national championship. They, and then uh-huh. she had a pretty successful stint at Northern Kentucky, whatever that is, Division two national championship. That's, yeah. yeah. So everybody uh, figured, okay, she can coach. We're excited. I think she instantly uh, drew people to her with her personality, and so maybe I don't, I don't know what the runway was like, but it didn't take her long. I mean, she no. was they were a distant number two to SDSU her first year, year and a half. I think it was just her first year that they kind of spun their wheels a little bit, yeah. and then they were right it back. It was in off it. and running. Yeah. And um, and just to just to kind of, I was doing looking at the Summit League women's standings just to make sure you're not just like going willy nilly on this. No matter what they do with a the, uh, fairly new roster, new coach, they're they're probably going to be number two in the league. UMKC was the number three team this past year. Lost their head coach. They just lost their coach. She yeah. went to Oklahoma State, right? I think. Yes. Uh, Oral Roberts lost their head coach. They were, uh, you know, we haven't talked about that yet. Um, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. Because in the grand scheme, nobody cares. Just 
but that lady, uh, you know, they were really good. Misty Cussin. And yeah. and good luck to them. Good luck to them. I mean, good. F- okay, yeah, they were I'll pretty say, good. She never had a great team. There. She didn't. So good, good for them to try to set themselves to a higher standard because before SDSU came into the league, Oral Roberts women's hoops was pretty good, if mm-hmm. not winning the titles. They had this. Misty was an assistant though when they had their really good teams. When okay. she took over as the head yeah. coach, she never quite got it going. And, I mean, the second the Summit League tournament moved to Sioux Falls, the Jackrabbits became over. the queens yeah. of the league. Yeah. And uh, so I feel bad because she seemed like a really nice lady. I always felt bad for her whenever she'd be, uh, you know, ousted from the tournament, usually in the semis, by the Jacks or the Yotes. Uh, but, you know, so good for them for aiming higher, but uh, good luck to them as well. I don't, I mean, that's, it, that's, that's all. That's a good job, mm-hmm. but it's a hard job at Oral Roberts if you're expected to figure out a way. Everyone to, in the league, it's a hard job. Yeah. You know, North Dakota State last year looked like they really turned a corner, and then this year they took a step back. Yeah. So, you know. All right. Anyway, Don Plitzowitz's first year at USD, 23-9. and nine. 11 and 5 in the Summit League, fourth place, went to the WNIT. The very next year, they ran the table in the in the Summit League, 14 and 0. And then they then they lose Chloe Lamb or not Chloe Lamb, uh, Kira Duffy. Kira Duffy, th- thank you. And no, that was a couple years later. Okay. Um, but my point is before the uh, they they went 11 and 5 in the Summit League in her first year, and that was the closest they had to a down <laughs> year. They they lost yeah. five total games in the Summit League in her next five seasons. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. She, it sort of took her one year to get it going, and even that one rebuilding year, they were still pretty good. Yeah. All right. Um, so that's that. Congratulations to uh, USD for fighting their new coach, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to, f- to follow that. All right, so you took a little trip to the Twin Cities. For the Twins, uh, what turned out to be, what, game two? It was supposed to be game three. Opening day was uh, called off because of weather. And uh, mm-hmm. as far as I saw, you got um, you got a glorious day. Yeah, yeah, it was a little chilly, but otherwise it was it was funny. Um, Thursday was opening day, and me and my buddy Phil had made plans to just like either get together at one of our houses or go to a bar and watch opening day. And I just kind of casually told Jen, like, "Yeah, you're not going to see me on Thursday. I'm going to be drinking, watching baseball." And then she was like, "Oh, okay." And then. Uh, it, it became apparent that game was going to get pushed back before it actually was because Phil texted me. He's like, yeah, we're probably not going to be able to do that on Thursday. I was like, all right. And uh, and then Jen had the idea like, oh, well, if you're not going to be watching opening day, like, let's go. Let's go to opening day. And I was like, oh, I didn't even – yeah, sure. And so we talked about going to the Friday game, but with Arthur having school and, and just kind of late notice to try to get tickets for the opener – we said, hey, let's go up on Friday, get tickets on Saturday, just make a weekend out of it. So that's what we did. We got great seats on Saturday. Uh, took Arthur to see Sonic 2 on Friday night. Uh, we went to those movie theaters that's like a you know full-service bar and restaurant type oh, places. Oh, wow. I'd never been to one of those. That's awesome. And uh, so, you know. I haven't been to one of those. I'm wondering if I've even been to the uh, Century Mark here in town since it started. Don't they serve beer at that now? Beer um, and wine? Maybe. I don't know. But I just mean like you have a waitress. Like they, they have the things set up for there's tables the movie theater is gigantic okay and it has so these your seats are set up and you have tables at your chair and a waitress waiter comes by and takes your drink during the movie yep is that annoying when she's doing it at other tables not really they're pretty good about they're pretty good about they do most of it before the movie starts okay like they make you get there early if you're not there like five minutes before showtime they lock the door and don't let people in 
and then uh, yeah, they like they have their little flashlights, <clears> and they can. And what you do is like once the movie starts, you write if you want like another drink, you write it on this card, okay, and put it on there, and they have a little flashlight, and they see it, and they just bring it. Nice. So it wasn't too intrusive, uh, but yeah, I had a couple beers and a, and a meal with the movie, and you know Arthur got to have his hamburger and French fries and some ice cream, and he loved the movie, and it was cute. It was it was good. We the three of us all really enjoyed the movie, and. Yeah, Jen and I got to drink and have a meal, and that was fun. Beautiful. This sounds like a a, a near perfect movie going experience. If they would just provide like a bedpan or a, <laughs> a diaper or something, uh, or it's only about an hour and forty five minute movie. <laughs> oh and, no, I can't. And I, I hadn't I, started drinking before the movie, so that yeah, helped. I almost never make it through those. It's just uh, inevitable, and the bladder just fills up and fills up and gets no, more I uncomfortable. I only had two beers during the whole movie, so uh, I was pounded. But have you ever been? Into a, have you ever been to a movie where it's like that? Where like midway through the movie, you're like, uh-oh, yes. and then you're like, well, well I can, I can gut it out. When I was younger, and more of a piece of shit, like I used to <laughs> sneak a flask into every movie I went to, and I'd basically get bombed during How the movie. How dare you? Yeah, I and by too. the second half of the movie, of yeah, I'd have to get up and leave during an important part yeah. of the movie because I had to piss. Yeah. So I don't do that anymore. Oh but. yeah, that's smart. I, I just have a naturally weak bladder. Plus, I do like to drink before I go watch movies, and uh, yeah, like I remember Independence Day. I was like 17. I went to see my whole family in Kansas City. We went to see Independence Day. And I was just the whole, you know, about midway through, I'm like, uh-oh. Like, but no, I can gut it out, gut it out. It's like when you're in the car on road trips, gut it out to the next whatever rest area. And you, when you're with a group of people, you don't want to be that person right, yeah. that has to pull everybody over. And, uh, and But then, and I've experienced this many times since, but that was the ultimate. Because that was like a huge movie at the uh-huh, time. That uh-huh. was like one of the biggest movies oh, ever. Yeah. Summer blockbuster. And I think we went the night it went out. Big family outing. And, uh, and I just... Uh, you know, I, so I was I was self conscious enough. I didn't want to, everybody to see me getting up to go to the bathroom, and so I'm like, you can make it, you can do it. And, it, and the, here's the problem with that: that mentality is a bad mentality for most movies, especially action movies, because your bladder continues to fill up as it gets better <laughs> and as you get closer to the climax of the movie. Right. And so if you're not going to make it all the way through, then just go earlier. And then of course, so I finally broke and I came back, and, and my cousin was like, oh my. You missed it. You missed it. Yeah. Like what I miss, and, <laughs> and then I learned a lot later that it doesn't really fucking matter. It's really not uh, that big. Of well, a I would just Sioux Falls needs one of these <laughs> full service movie theaters. I was impressed. I had a great time. Yeah, Although it's also expensive as fuck. So we that. just got Dave and Buster's, and now people want more, more, more. It's true. I can't it's, wait to take Arthur to Dave and Buster's too. I, I am looking forward to going there as well. Yeah. So, uh, what was the how was how was the Target Field experience? Was this your first Twins game post pandemic? No. Oh, okay. Uh, Jen and I went to a game last year, right. just the two of us. Uh, it was Arthur's first Twins game. Well, yes, and that we, was quite a... I, and yeah, we were excited to take him. We had taken him to a couple Canaries games, and he loved them, um, especially because we would take him on Sunday so he could run the bases after the game. He asked First thing he asked me when we walked into the stadium was, can I run the bases after the game? And I said, no, not here. Um, but I, you know, there's, there's a great scene in the baseball movie... Um, uh, Fever Pitch, the one with Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore, where early in the movie they're explaining how this Jimmy Fallon character you know, became obsessed with the Red Sox. Uh, he was like five years old and his uncle took him to Fenway Park. And the first time he like came up out of the stairs from the concourse and saw the field for the first time. And just what a, a sight that was to see this gigantic expanse of, of green grass and, and thousands of seats and everything. And, and I, I can remember that myself as a kid and how... As a as an adult and someone who like every time I go to a baseball game, I still get that same sort of chill, that sense of wonderment every time you 
walk to your seat and you get that first look at the whole stadium. And I kind of, I was, you know, just very hopeful that Arthur would have that same experience. And he absolutely did. Like, we walked in, we, you know, we were telling him, like, hey, we're going to a Twins game, Target Field. And you could tell he was kind of like, oh, okay, like, sure. And he didn't quite know what it, you know, why this was a big deal. And we got there and, you know, went through the gate and it was a free jacket day. So he got his own, this Twins raincoat and he's all excited. And yeah, but then we got to the top of the stairs and he looks out and he literally like gasped just seeing like, oh my God. He's like, look at all the grass. I was like, exactly. Like, it was like, yes, he sees it. He gets it. And uh, we walked down to like the front row of the outfield seats, even though that's not where our seats were, just so he could kind of take in all the sights. And he stood there for five minutes, just his mouth agape, kind of looking around, you know, the skyscrapers off to the side and the gigantic video board and the people and the sounds and the smells and everything. And um, so then we went and got a hot dog, and we got him a soda with the souvenir cup, and went to the, you know, souvenir stand, and then we went to our seats, and he's looking around, and yeah, I just didn't want him to, you know, get bored or be like, oh, this is lame or whatever, and he never did. The course of the, we stayed for the whole game, and not once did he say like, you know, when is this over? When do we get to go? And also, he got two foul balls at his first major league game. Yeah, you buried the lead there. Yeah, well, he didn't catch either one of them, and neither did I. Both times, we were sitting in kind of prime foul ball territory right behind first base, but an old man catches a foul ball, what does he want to do? Give it to a cute kid. So twice a foul ball was hit into our section, and it got caught by some old man who turned around. There's Arthur just sitting there. Here you go, buddy. And (laughs) that's the one thing that, like, Jen and I tried to explain to him, like, this is a big deal that you got a foul. Because Arthur's like, cool, thanks for the ball, Yeah, the I guess. first, when, when I saw that tweet, the first one, and then, of course, the second one, but even the first one, yeah, I was kind of like, it. this kid's going to think he's going to get a foul ball at every, every game he goes to. Yeah. And it's going to be a letdown yeah. if he doesn't. I told him, I said, Arthur, I had been going, I, I think the first time I ever got a ball at a Twins game was, I was in Cincinnati when I was 27. So I've been going to games for 20 years and never got a foul ball or I a never have. ball or whatever. Same here. Yeah, and I got one finally that year. I was at, uh, watching batting practice, and a guy hit a home run into our seats, and I caught it. Um, but otherwise, and that's still the only one I think I've ever got at a at a major league game. I get him at Canaries games once in a while. But, yeah, and he was kind of like, cool, okay, yeah, I got a foul ball. All right, we're like, no, this took 30 years for me. Like, it's a big deal. And even then he was kind of like, oh, well, you must suck at getting foul balls then if it took you 30 years. You know? <laughs> Well, but it was fun, cool. and, and you know, uh, Byron Buxton hit what looked like it was going to be a game-winning home run in the eighth inning, and Arthur understands baseball just well enough to be like, he was like, we're going to win now, right? Like, he hit the home run, and I was like, yeah, it looks like it, and then Tyler Duffy blew it, and Arthur was kind of like, did we did we lose? I was like, yeah, we lost. He's like, how? Like, what happened? And I was like, yeah, he, he blew it. And he was like, well, that guy sucks. And I'm like, <laughs> Welcome so, to being a Twins fan, right, kid. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Because, again, knowing you were there and seeing uh, that he caught the foul ball, I was doing University of Sioux Falls PA announcing all afternoon and checking my phone at the scores. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, and they had already, what, gotten one hit or four hits the day before and lost, mm-hmm. I don't know, two to one, four to mm-hmm. one, whatever it was. And then they had about three hits through six or seven innings. I'm like, oh, my four. God. Yeah. And then... Uh, you know, I had seen your tweet about his foul ball. Then the second foul ball, 
And and then I saw, oh, Buxton hit a two-run homer. I'm like, fucking Zimmer, jeez, what a day. Of course, <laughs> right. he just, he's just striking gold everywhere he goes. And right. it's, you know, a kid's first Twins game. And then when I saw that uh, the Twins blew it, I was like, ah, there we go. Yeah. That is truly <laughs> the a whole real experience. Minnesota yeah, exactly. Twins yeah. viewing experience. Uh, any takeaways from the first four games? Or they lost the first two, win the next two. I have no idea how good the Mariners are. They're supposed um, to be pretty decent. So, um, did you watch uh, us besides that one? How much of the other three did you watch? Any um, takeaways? Yeah, I watched uh, most of the game Sunday, and, and la- I watched the entire game last night. I mean, pitching's been really good, and that's supposed to be the question mark. Um, Byron Buxton has almost hit a home run every at bat. It feels like. I mean, he is insanely good right now. You just pray that he stays healthy. I mean, he if he stays healthy, if he plays 140 games, I mean, it looks like he could have a, a 50 home run season. I mean, it's just insane how. How well he's hitting right now, just picking up where he left off last year. Carlos Correa looks has looked sharp. I mean, the the, the two guys they got from the Yankees both hit it well. Um, I mean, I think they have a chance to be really good. You know, it, the, the bullpen is obviously a question mark. They trade Taylor Rogers the day before opening day, and they blow their first save opportunity. And Taylor Rogers already has four saves for the Padres, so that will be, I think, the big question mark. Got the Dodgers coming in for a couple days. That'll be a challenge, obviously. The Dodgers are probably the best team in baseball, but I don't know. I, like I, I think I said last week, I feel good about the Twins, not great, and I would say that's still where I'm at. I think it's been it was an encouraging first series. I think because they, they should have won three out of four. And also, we didn't even mention the opener Friday night. Gary Sanchez missed a walk off home run by about three feet. You know, he they were losing two to one in the ninth, and he yeah, I thought he hit it out. I was like, oh my god, so. Good start, I think, overall. And you mentioned the Canaries. They start in less than six weeks, five weeks from this Friday. Uh, May 20th is their opening game. And uh, I don't know I, I don't know if I had told you this or not, but it, but it is now for real happening. The construction cranes are out there. Uh, they're putting in new turf. New, new turf. They're putting in synthetic, you know, field turf. Uh, type of surface, infield, foul territory, and bullpens. So they're going to keep the outfield grass, grass, uh-huh. but infield is going to be all synthetic turf. Really? And, uh, yes. And this to the club, of course, most people know this by now, I work for the club. Uh-huh. Big, 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 big deal. It's not really something that's huge for the fans or going to make a difference when you go to the game as a fan. Um, but, you know, most people have some sort of semblance and clue that the Canaries have struggled for a decade. I mean, they went to the American Association finals two years ago in a COVID year, and that was fine and dandy. But uh, Mike Myers, their manager, he's been there for six years. Uh, previously, he was on. He was uh, he was the top, he was the lead assistant for pitching coach Steve Shirley. He was his pitching coach. Yeah, for the for their only championship in '08, and when they had the best team in the league in 2010. And so uh, Mike, for some reason, loves Sioux Falls. And uh, depending on how you look at it, I think we're lucky to have him. He's a really good manager, managing in a tough place to manage, and a big reason why. And he'll tell you openly, is because they had easily the worst playing surface in the American Association. Uh, that's one of the several reasons why Sioux Falls was not a, a, as an attractive place to play as other markets and other teams. The league has changed. There's teams in Milwaukee and Chicago, and there mm-hmm. was one in St. Paul. A lot of the cities in the league are bigger and more attractive to single dudes in their 20s. But also, the surface was terrible, and it was really hard to recruit pitchers and infielders because when you have a field that's been beaten up in the winter, mm-hmm. uh, there's the city owns the place, and it's very and the 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 budget for the previous owners it's just tough to have 
warm bodies for a grounds crew. It's mostly college kids on a grounds crew plus Duel, the <laughs> the general manager of the team. And uh, anyway, that, that that field gets beaten up, and you're going to get some bounces, you know, that are going to a cause errors. Uh, which hurts your fielding percentage. And if you're an up-and-coming baseball player, that's the last thing you want as an infielder is to mm. your fielding percentage to be fucked with. Mm. And then you you're... Break your nose. Exactly. Yeah. That's even the bigger reason. So Mike said it's, it was it was hell trying to recruit good infielders, and that's, you know, half your team, more than half your team. And pitchers as well because it, it, it affects pitchers. Now you got a synthetic surface, which, by the way, is basically keeping up with the Joneses. I think more teams mm-hmm. in their league have it than not. I didn't know that. And, um, and so... It uh, makes it makes Mike feel like he's not climbing up. Uh, what's up? Uh, I, just a box for the taco and the queso dip. By the way, the queso dip was pretty good, and it has nothing to do with ranch. I looked it up. Queso dip has nothing to do with uh, ranch. Is not the base for queso. Dip, I didn't think it was, which it just is good. Looked like ranch. It's actually, it's it's actually kind of a white sort of. Yeah. Um, tacos are great at the gateway. Come have them. Don't put ranch on them. <laughs> God, I hate ranch. I don't get. You like ranch? For buffalo wings. Okay. That's about it, though. Oh. Well, it's it's my salad dressing of choice. I don't... So popular here. Never got it. Um, people that eat it with, like, french fries and potato. Like, come on. Anyway. <laughs> so, anyway, the Canaries are going to have new infield turf that is uh, supposedly... And ha- already has been helping Mike, because he's known it for a while. That have they, they ever talked about... Have. Has Mike said anything about moving the fences back? Uh, no. It's... it's it's Because uh, no. that's a double-edged sword. You, your hitters hit a lot of home yes. runs, and they like that. But then pitchers are like, cool, I'm going to have a 550 ERA if I play for the Canaries. Yeah. You know. and, and it's it's affected how he's uh, gone about putting together teams. I, I'm well aware. Uh, yeah. He's not the first. I he mean, wants, every manager that's been there has had that issue. Yep. You know. He wants power hitters and, uh, you know, and uh, pitchers. Sinker who are, ball pitchers. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, so anyway, thoughts, thoughts on the turf? That's the news turf. to me. I mean, I'm... I'm interested in writing about that. That's a big deal. Oh, good. I, yeah. I, I might be able to help you with that. Yeah. Uh, and So Dakota News Now went out and did a thing about that yesterday. But also uh, other facilities changes just to keep you up to date, uh, which I think, is, I think is germane to the podcast. Those of you listening, Canaries are going to have 50 home games. It, it should be the most fun night of the year you have out, and that's without considering if you like baseball or not. But uh, last year they brought the new half-a-million-dollar scoreboard out in center field. Uh Guess what, Sim? They're going to have instant replay this year. Nice. Yeah, they're going to bring in some instant replay, which will uh, allow more f- more features to be utilized on the board to entertain the fans. But also, um, uh, they're going to have... Are they going to have it ready the first game, or do I need to give we'll you a week to see. figure everything I'm, out? Like- I'm reluctant to have you come to the first game and review it like, that's it, that's Canary's make or break 2022, is how things go on opening Generally, up. you want to be ready to go it's like a the Broadway first play night. yeah yeah well we're, we're trust me the wheels are the wheels the wheels are spinning yeah. hard in the office on all angles entertainment sales everything um, there's going to be um, uh, padded seats behind home plates we're getting those padded seats is that padded you seats okay. yes so premium seats you know we're turning a behind mm-hmm. home plate into mm-hmm. premium seating which obviously costs a little bit more than mm-hmm. uh, any other seating mm-hmm. in the ballpark mm-hmm. but that's another option and uh, concessions, the Canaries' ownership has taken over the concessions at the ballpark. Previously, concessions were controlled by, I'm just going to say, somebody else because I don't want to throw them under the A bus. third party. Yeah. Yes, which means the Canaries did not have to hire and pay for concession staff and do the work, uh, but also meant there may have been an issue or two from fans the last few years about the freshness of the food and the... Uh, the variety of the food, although a lot of baseball fans go to a park expecting 
hot dogs, burgers, the basics. Um, we've got our own in-house chef, been a chef around a lot of places in Sioux Falls, owned her own food truck. She's got a very witty, crazy mind. Um, she's going to perfect the stuff that you like and then going to bring some new things to the ballpark in the food department. So hope you like that. Interesting. Looking yeah. forward to it. I mean, we feel that you know food should be an important part of going to it a should. baseball game. Yeah. <laughs> you know? If it's going to be a – I mean, obviously it helps our sales. It helps our bottom line. But also, you know, I've been on this side of things before as well when I was just a fan. It was, are we going to eat at the park or are we going to go out to eat before we are going to eat at the uh-huh. park? Because uh-huh. we may or may not like or care for what the park might have for food. It's, it's kind of important for the uh-huh. park to have good food. So we'll have that. So there, a couple Canaries things for you. Um, did you watch the Masters? Not one second. Not even on Sunday? Not even on the back nine? We went to the Mall of America on Sunday and took Arthur to the... You know, the amusement part. What it used to be called Camp Snoopy. You know, the... Valley Fair? No. no oh, the Mall, Mall America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the roller yeah. coasters and all that Is stuff. Is that all still there? It's not Camp Snoopy anymore. Yeah. But, but, yeah, it's all there. They got the roller coaster and the... Uh, Multiple roller coasters, the log ride. The log. And all the stuff. Yeah. What was your favorite? I didn't go on any of them. Jen and Arthur did the riding. I was the dad holding mom's purse and taking pictures with the phone. So. How'd you feel about that? I'm, I kind of get sick on rides, so I was fine. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. I kinda, there was a couple of them I was kind of like, I wouldn't mind going on this, but I was happy to be the, the spectator. Okay. All right. Anything else? That's what we ask in TV when we do interviews. Anything else? Anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I never do that. That's, <laughs> I, I would recommend that you stop doing well, that. Well, actually, I don't do that. <laughs> My companions do that. Sometimes you get, sometimes you get something out of that. But sometimes. Not, but, but, not, but not in this it case. It kind of implies that you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like, I, you know... Like, I, I, I always hear reporters do that. I'm like, why are you doing that? Anything else? No, you're the one who asked me for the interview. Why do you, you know. I hadn't done that until I saw another reporter or two do that, and then I've done it the last couple times. I can't, I, I can't honestly tell you that it accomplishes anything. Yeah. I agree with you. Have your, have your shit prepared. Ask good questions. Get in, get out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, hint, hint. Okay. No, that's not I'm just saying. Like, I, I, I've told you from the first episode of this podcast how terrible you are at, at transitioning to the ending. Anything else? <laughs> so, that was our show. You, Thanks for, uh, yeah, I don't know. You realize I kind of do that intentionally because that's kind of the uh, thing. All right, I'm, sh- I'm shutting the know. microphone off right now. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. <laughs> you guys need a round of drinks? Yes. <laughs>